Costs to originate keep rising, even with more technology in the industry. The problem is the core platform. A new LOS can re-architect the process around data, not humans moving paper files. Vesta has built this LOS, and you can learn more at Vesta.com. Welcome, everyone. On this episode of Housing Wire Daily, I'm joined by Managing Editor James Kleiman to talk about the continued fallout at FGMC and the effect of lower origination volume on fintech companies. James, welcome to the podcast. Thanks for having me, Sarah. Oh, man, your newsroom is busy as ever. We have had so much news. So, you know, some some of it has been follow-up on the fallout. Uh, you know, we've been announcing how companies are, you know, cutting staff, right-sizing, layoffs, whatever you want to say. FGMC is probably the, you know, has, has seen the biggest effects of that. And um, we just had reporting today. So tell us about what the, the latest in that saga. Yeah, I think. There have been a lot of layoffs. You're correct about that. A lot of companies that are struggling in, in the mortgage lending space, given given the rate environment and, and just reduced origination volume, none quite as dramatic as FGMC. So we heard about a week ago on Friday that they had laid off 400-something staff members, and, and they only had 500-something staff members. And so uh, about 80% of the company was unceremoniously laid off in a Zoom meeting uh, or, or some sort of you know virtual meeting, and um, and then we found out a little bit later that they were not accepting new mortgage applications. And FGMC is you know they're not rocket mortgage. They're not. No one's going to mistake them for being you know like a a massive player in the space, but they are a significant player in the correspondence space. And they they buy loans from a lot of different lenders across the country. And a lot of those correspondent partners have been really disappointed at uh, just how everything has unfolded with FGMC, which is backed by PIMCO, you know, one of the world's largest asset managers. And uh, and really, the issue is, you know, they they have all these loans that they've sold that, that or that they have agreed to buy from these correspondent partners, and suddenly they go dark, and all of those staffers at once return phone calls and emails and would coordinate these deals with the correspondent partners. They're not there; they're gone. You know, they they had no longer able to access the system. They they don't go to this office anymore in, in Plano, Texas. And so you suddenly have millions of dollars in loans that a correspondent lender has agreed to purchase that the sellers just don't know the fate of. And so there are questions about who's covering the G fees and, and you know, if, if FGMC is even going to buy them at all. And, and if they're not, what are your options at that point? And so, yeah, it's, it's been a real scramble. It's been very difficult. And then Thursday, we reported this morning that FGMC filed for bankruptcy in the state of Delaware at a bankruptcy court. So it's Chapter 11 bankruptcy. And the company claims that they are going to fund uh, you know, the, the loans that were in that pipeline, so to speak, but really, again, still very much lacking in specifics and uh, a, a lot of upset out there in the correspondent world. It really is. It's, it's a reminder of you know how far-reaching these these decisions are and these things that the companies have to do. Are I mean, we we don't rejoice in any sort of layoffs. It's it's sad to see right people in our industry, but also just like how it goes much farther than just that company. I mean, you think about in this case especially and the way that they've had to do it and the way or the way that they have done it. Um, it affects you know I'm sure it affects consumers. It affects all the people involved in this transaction. 
Yeah, it does. You know, this is this is an ecosystem, right? So when one domino falls, others you know, are probably going to fall too. And so I I don't know how many borrowers are going to end up being affected by this, but certainly there are a lot of LOs and, and mortgage executives across the country that are impacted by this decision that are scrambling and trying to sell loans through other channels and, and really trying to figure everything out on very tight timelines. So it's it's difficult. And, and I think it's also uh, worth noting that PIMCO, as I said earlier, is one of the world's largest asset managers. And and so I think there was a lot of confidence from people in the market. This this huge player in the space has so much money, even if it's a rocky quarter, two quarters, whatever, they're there. You know, this is a solid option for us if we're if we're selling through the correspondent channel and then suddenly, you know, everybody goes dark one day and and um they you know they, they kind of pulled the rug out from underneath people. And it makes people in this space wonder what about the others? You know, most of them are not as well capitalized as, uh, you know, or have the backing of a company the size of PIMCO, right? So I think there's a lot of trepidation in this space right now. There's uh, there, there are a lot of questions being asked as to uh, how viable are, are some of these non-banks? You know, we, we've talked already in the past about um, how different the rules are governing depositories and non-depository banks regarding their capital requirements, and, you know, I, I think some of those questions are going to be renewed when you see lenders start to go under. It's a great point and, and disturbing. And, you know, we're now at the end of the second quarter. So, you know, the third and fourth quarter, the first quarter we had, you know, was buoyed by still those, uh, the refis, maybe maybe the last gasp of refis, but also, I mean, mortgage rates were still pretty, pretty low. So, you know, that carried some things. You had some deals going on. You had some uh, leftover from that. End of the second quarter now, third and fourth quarters are looking to be not good, right? They're going to be bleak for for most parts of our mortgage industry. Um, so I feel like all of these concerns are just ratcheting up a little bit because we've got, I mean, now now it's now it's uh in the final, you know, this is where the, we really see what people have and and what that volume looks like the rest of this year. Yeah. I, I mean, if you look at January, rates were still in the threes, right? Mid to low threes. And then, you know, as you start getting a little bit further into the year, it's climbing, it's climbing. Okay, you know, the refis are starting to peter out, uh, but there are still plenty of lenders that were making some refi business in in the early part of the second quarter. And then you start getting a little bit further into it. And then by May, I mean, it's dead, right? It's dead and buried. And if you haven't really cleaned up your purchase business, if you haven't made a lot of connections with real estate agents or, you know, like like some of these companies, right, and said... Just buy through the correspondent channel, even if margins are pretty low. You know, at least it's a source of of funding. And um, and then, of course, the lead up to the Fed's meeting between inflation news coming and the Fed meeting. I mean, the, the secondary markets were were absolutely going crazy. There's a liquidity freeze up, and, and it's just everything really took a turn. And um, it's it's not that First Guarantee Mortgage Corporation is the only company in that space to have struggled, especially in that month. But they've certainly been the, the biggest public victim so far. Uh, but I, I think, you know, to your point, Sarah, over the next quarter or two, we're going to really start to see a lot of companies that just, they can't keep those losses on their books. They're just not able to fund the operations like they used to. You know, a lot of these companies, they're structured in a sense that they depend on a certain amount of origination volume 
for people to be busy to, to have jobs that are, you know, actually important and, and are doing things. And, and so, you know, I, I know people that work at fairly big shops that say, yeah, most days I don't really have much to do. And that's very, very bad. And, and again, these are not small lenders. These are not, you know, little community banks in, in Minnesota or wherever. These are large lenders in California. And I feel like the third and fourth quarters are really the reckoning for that. Um, you know, you can no longer keep bodies there if, if they're not busy. So, uh, you know, it's one of the reasons you talk. And, and Sarah, this also affects loan officers. You know, I, I wonder, having spoken to a few of them, how motivated are some of them? They made so much money in 2020 and 2021. They could pick up, I mean, the, the low hanging fruit was ubiquitous. It was all over the place. And now you walk into a situation in 2022 where, okay, the first part of the year, or at least first quarter of the year, probably okay. You're still, you're still doing well. Your, your phone is still blowing up. You're still dealing with a lot of clients and then it's getting harder and you really have to hustle. How many want to go back to the grind of, of calling up every past client, of going to open houses for God's sakes and, and, uh, you know, really putting their nose to the grindstone. I, I think I would have a difficult time staying extremely motivated if I had made, you know, half a million dollars in 2020 and just as much in 2021. And then suddenly I have almost nothing in the pipeline and I have to scrap again, like I did, you know, again, several years ago. Uh, not easy. And it's not like these loans are just out there for the taking. If you're, if you're, uh, you know, if you're just industrious, you need a little bit of luck. You need some fortune, but it's um, it's a totally different time. And you need really good relationships. Yeah. You need really good relationships with your referral partners or it's going to be tough. Yeah. And if you haven't called that real estate agent who might've been a source since 2018, 2019, I, I don't know if, if you're going to be the first person that they turn to right. when they have a client <laughs> who needs a loan and, and maybe they're not confident that your lender is even you know, going to deliver given the general volatility out there. You know, you, you mentioned earlier, you said uh, an ecosystem. And I think that's one of the reasons that as we were seeing the effect on lenders, you had um, reporter Connie Kim do a story uh, June 8th about the, the tech companies that are also fighting for their survival. The ecosystem is large and and widespread. And one of the things that, you know, has really grown up since I've been at Housing Wire is this whole universe of uh, tech companies who are supporting the more modern mortgage. So that could be platforms, that could be solutions, that can be tech companies them, themselves getting into some of this. So, you know, tell us a little bit about that from June 8th, when we were really just looking, you know, part of that focuses on M&A, it was, it was uh, talking about layoffs, but what has happened since then too? So when, when we talk about real estate tech, like you said, it's, it's such a big space. It's almost hard to define as well because almost everyone out there wants to define themselves as some sort of, you know, a tech company that also happens to do mortgage or appraisal or real estate or brokerage or what. I mean, you, you can put, you can put the word at the end of it. Um, and, and, you know, in, in a lot of cases, there may be tech adjacent, right? Like, like Compass. I don't care what they tell you. It is not a tech company, right? It is a real estate brokerage, a fairly traditional real estate brokerage that has Decent tech, depending on who you talk to, um, but there are some solutions providers. You know, the story on June eighth really talks a lot about the opportunities ahead, and and so many of them know that they're not going to make it, <laughs> and that they need a lifeboat or they need a partner or they they need some way to remain viable or to have a product that can actually achieve sales. And so we're starting to see a lot more partnerships and mergers. 
uh, even over the last month. I, I mean, two of the better known companies in the mortgage space, the mortgage origination space, at least, Mortgage Coach and Sales Boomerang, they were each basically bought by a private equity firm back in January. And, and you know, I, I know that even back then the plan was they were going to kind of bring this all under one tent. Uh, but now that's starting and, and there are a lot of others. Uh, and I, I think it's also interesting because we've seen a lot of the proliferation of these so-called power buyers. You know, these companies that step in and say, we know that it's really difficult to compete against someone who has a cash offer. So we're going to give you that cash and then we'll work out some sort of a payment plan where either, you know, we control the house and you pay us or there's some sort of an equity share arrangement or, you know, you get a mortgage through us and we take a percentage from the ultimate lender. There are a lot of, you know, different uh, different iterations of this, but but it's all kind of the same idea, right? It's It's trying to work with the buyer and making sure that they have um, the best chance to win a bid. Um, and so, you know, these are businesses that I think have some staying power. You know, it's it's no secret that the traditional mortgage industry since Dodd-Frank leaves a lot of people, um, you know, kind of outside the box. And, and a lot of people, especially millennials who have credit card debt, student loan debt, medical debt, you know, all, all kinds of you know issues in, in having a big down payment, they are there and that can be a real big service. Uh, but these are also companies that in almost every case are funded by venture capital firms or private equity firms, and they're not gifts. Uh, you know, <laughs> <laughs> it's a business. There is a business under there. Business. Yeah, you know, and and so the the threats are real. If if they don't deliver, those CEOs, those founders may find themselves sidelined very quickly. There's a risk of running uh, expenses up way too quickly before you have a viable product that can result in sales. Um, and so we're starting to see this problem now where, you know, a lot of these companies maybe only have a year, maybe less in, in what they call the runway, you know, how much funding they have to keep going, to keep funding operations, to, to kind of make it to that next step. And, and they can't fundraise like they used to, you know, so we see a few out there that are raising, you know, a bit of money here and there, 12 million there, 50 million there. It does happen. It's not like, you know, the venture capital space is completely dried up or anything like that. But um, real estate is also not the place that they're like, huh, you know what? We're going to throw, you know, $51 bills at these 50 companies and see which one lands. They're not doing it in real estate as much as they used to. So I think you're going to start to see a lot of these tech companies that just didn't end up getting the market penetration when they needed to, to kind of make that leap, or they can't afford the engineers and the burn rate is too high. And if they don't have a product that really, really does benefit the consumer right now, when there just aren't a lot of houses selling, you know, I mean, everybody is, is not everybody, but most people are, are, are struggling in the real estate and mortgage industries right now is just not a much, not a lot of volume. And these are volume businesses, right? Like they're tight margin, high volume businesses, and uh, when the margins are even smaller and the volumes are even lower, it's um, it's that product needs to be so much more impactful than I think in a more normal market, or at least you, you better be great at raising money. And um, and so we've seen a lot of layoffs already. Sunday laid off a good chunk of their staff. Uh, very recently, we saw Homelight layoff, Knock, Orchard. I mean, you, you pretty much name it. Uh, most of the power buyers are these companies that sort of work either on the seller side or the buyer side of financing. Um, they're they're having a tough time, and they're all, you know, the, the word in air quotes is always right sizing. I, 
and I don't know what that means in tech, you know, uh, but, but it definitely, it's, it's certainly, uh, it's going to be a tough road for a lot of them, unless they have just a ton of money or their product really takes off and they can make sales when, you know, sales are even harder to come by too. Right. I mean, if you're trying to sell to a mortgage company or a real estate brokerage or even the consumer, you know, there, there's so much noise, there's so much competition and, and they have less money. Almost everyone's purchasing power is down. Right. So um, it's it's going to be really, really hard. I think one of the things that you mentioned there is, is that um, as they team up together, then they have a greater value to the lender. So, for instance, just this week, we had Roostify partnering with Indicom. And really, that's that's all about the middle office operations, which is notable because, you know, we, we started at the front end of how the borrower applies for a mortgage. We, we, in the pandemic, definitely went to the back end of how we do closing, right? The middle office has been a challenge. And I think now we're seeing that, like, you know, if you think about Roost, Roostify and Intercom, I mean, teaming up together, they're offering something there that solves a problem for or looks to solve a problem for lenders um, that, you know, it just simplifies things. It's easier to do all at once. And I think that's really going to be key going forward. Yeah. And I think in the case of a, a Roostify and Indicom, you know, I, my recollection is they're really trying to go for self-employed borrowers. And, and as we know, you know, th- these are people who are largely left out of kind of the GSE credit box. Right. And so um, there, there is a lot of loan products and a lot of interest in trying to serve these borrowers because they're not necessarily risky candidates. And, um, you know, I, I remember in, in the middle of the pandemic when I'd ask LOs and lenders, you know, tell me about trying to do, you know, loans for 1099s or, or you know, people who have business purpose loans or, uh, you know, tr- trying to get those those uh, types of deals done. I mean, the paperwork would take forever. They'd have to do like full audits. They'd have to, and even then they wouldn't get funded and the locks weren't long enough. And it was just, it was a disaster. Things are better now, but that I think is a pretty viable space you know, and, and more and more Americans are turning to this sort of, you know, I don't know if I'd call it necessarily the gig economy per se, but 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 less W-2 economy, I, I guess, is is maybe the best way to, maybe not the best way, but a way to put it. And, um, and so, you know, this is a pretty smart area if you are going to take a chance on, on middle office and, and, you know, to your point, Sarah, like it's, it's a lot more appealing to say, we're going to clean up that front end. We're going to make sure this is a really appealing uh, place for consumers. They're going to get hooked. They're going to love the UX. They're going to, you know, they're going to have a great borrowing experience or on the back end, like we know it's such a hairy monster to deal with Fannie or Freddie or FHA, you know, or, or whomever. And, and we're going to try to get all that integrated and, you know, get inf- income verification and all that. Uh, but not as much focused on sort of, you know, the, the binds, right? Like the, the ties between all of it in that middle office space. So, yeah, I, I think this is just a, hopefully, you know, a, a good example of, of what's yet to come. You know, you and I laughed uh, last week or whenever it was, it's been a couple of weeks now where I was applying for a mortgage. And so I did a lot of different things and it was a, a great test case. I am actually buying a house. So, uh, but it was also just interesting. A new construction house, LS. Yes. So uh, in another state, so just really interesting. But as I go through the process, um, there were several uh, loan applications that I was able to do on my phone. And at the end of the loan op- application, it was like, call us and we'll, and we'll see if you, if you uh, can get a loan through us. And I was like, I just spent 25 minutes doing a, a mobile app and I now have to call you. And you literally, them? yes, I called them. And then we went through the entire app. Now, not, it didn't take 25 minutes, but I was like, 
I what what all I did was pre-populate their their farms. Me as a as a consumer, it really wasn't that helpful to me. I feel like what I did was like now they don't have an admin taking the numbers of like I'm the one who did all the work, and then at the end I still have to call them, and they had to call me. And the person I I talked to first was like, "Oh no, it's not me. Let me have this person transfer you." I was like, "So then you play telephone?" I was like what year is this again? And I know what's out there. I know, you know, what's available. So it was just really interesting as a customer. And, and this was um, not just one company. I, I shopped around, did some different things. So did you end up getting your carrier pigeon back? <laughs> yes, please send your carrier pigeon to me. I was just like, this is just so funny. I had the same thing when we closed on a house during the pandemic, I had heard all these things that were happening. And it was the most it, it was the most paper-based clothes I've ever, I sat outside in the cold signing papers that were then, you know, it, it was just really funny. So, uh, you know, sometimes the promise and the execution are, are different. You know, we had, we had another, uh, not merger. Well, I guess, I guess it is actually an actual merger, um, of sales boomerang and mortgage coach. So the last one we talked about, they just are teaming up. But this is, this is the fact that sales boomerang and mortgage coach were both bought by the same, uh, company, right? LL, our partners made yeah, an yeah, investment. Yeah, they're a private equity firm. Yeah. yeah, and so now you know they're they're putting those together, combining them, and again, it's just another. You know, they do totally different things than the other ones we talked about. But it, it is to me a trend that like you need to. The smart people are thinking: How do I make the lender's life easier? How do I cost less? How do I solve the problems they have now? It is not the same market. And I know, I know the fintechs know that, but I do wonder if. You know, they got fat and happy on uh, on the venture capital money they had without maybe as many, as much results. You know, having to prove that, and then you you think about where you know some of those Silicon Valley uh, money is going right now, and and things that they're probably counting their their money a little bit uh, closer now. So I I think it's a yeah, and, and due diligence has never been the strength of Silicon Valley, right? Like you know how much money has been spent on Compass and and you know SoftBank alone, WeWork, <laughs> anyone who's followed the WeWork saga, right? Like it's, it's just kind of not the, the model is we're going to put, you know, we're going to place a lot of bets and just a few of them that pay off are going to make us rich beyond our wildest dreams and, and we'll make them rich as well. And, and if the others, you know, die off, like, well, they die off. And, and that's, that's just how the game is played. But when, when it comes to the housing space, the mortgage space, we need more technology. We need better technology. We need investment in these spaces because so much of the process, even if it's a little bit better than it used to be, when I got my mortgage, I actually found it like the consumer experience fairly decent. But then I talked to the people on the other end and they're like, oh God, like, you know, I'm pulling my hair out trying to get all this worked out. And and that's true pretty much across the board. You talk to anybody who works in appraisal, right? Talk to anyone, even in title, like this is such an analog business still. And, um, you know, I, I don't know how much technology can fully revolutionize this space and strides have been made, but we're not close to being there. And, and if this more difficult market does mean less investment in technology, I, I think that's a major, a major setback for a lot of people. Agreed. And, you know, we, uh, the newsroom wrote a story last week, winners and losers in this volatile housing market. And it was interesting to see, you know, we, we didn't name names like this company is going to lose and this company is going to win. It was more like who, who at the end of the day, when all this settles, who's going to be standing? What kinds of companies are going to be standing? What kinds of, you know, people are winning? And, and from my perspective, if you think about this really shakes it out, we've had so many tech companies 
pop up in the last even five years, you know, five years before that too, but like they've just multiplied. Well, you know, if the money's not easy anymore and you've really got to prove it, then I feel like at the end of this, maybe, maybe we get some really strong companies who are doing um, some things that are important and, you know, the shakeout in the end could be really great. I hope you're right. We'll see. (laughs) I I don't envy people going through the shakeout. That's not that, but I do think that like, this is the time when people can show their worth what are you doing for me now as a lender when I need you the most? And I think that that's going to be the real, the real differentiator here and, and what we see at the end. So we'll have, the, we'll continue to have this conversation. I know throughout the year, but you know, so here we are putting a stake in the ground. So the start of the third quarter tomorrow when this goes live um, and we will see where we are even in, in a couple of weeks, but especially say fourth quarter, have this conversation again. Well, James, thank you so much for being on the podcast. Look forward to reading more of what your newsroom is putting out. Thanks as always. Thanks very much, Sarah. How have the 2022 housing market forecast changed? Or... How is the industry navigating the shift to a purchase-driven market? HousingWire's premium content program, HW+, answers questions like these and offers a variety of member-exclusive benefits that are tailored to what you need to stay competitive and agile in today's fast-paced market. Go to housingwire.com forward slash membership to join today. With your HW+, membership, you get access to longer-form digital content, the HousingWire magazine, member-exclusive rates to in-person events like Housing Wire Annual, and more. Thanks for listening to Housing Wire Daily. If you haven't already, we'd love for you to take a minute to rate the show or leave a comment. We'll see you back here on Monday for more news and insight.